Uh, well, we're going to uh, hear from God's Word now, and the, um, the passage that we're looking at today is found in Luke's Gospel, so Luke chapter 11. We're looking at verses 5 to 13. Uh, however, we're just going to read um, from the start of Luke chapter 11, just to um, remind ourselves of the context of this um, passage. Okay, hear, hear the word of the Lord. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't give you up, uh, get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is God's word. Let's pray and ask God to help us understand it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for the confidence that we can have that all scripture is God-breathed. And Father, we ask that uh, we would listen to it uh, as it is, as the word of God, uh, that we would uh, submit ourselves to what you say. Uh, we pray that you would give us your Holy Spirit, uh, that our minds would be enlightened that we would not only understand, but we would be able to make all the connections to our lives and be able to live this passage out. Uh, we pray that you would uh, help us uh, by your grace. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week we began uh, looking at this passage in Luke 11, uh, and I called it, um, Lord, teach us to pray. And so that's the attitude we need to have as we come uh, to hear uh, what Jesus teaches. Lord, teach me to pray. I want to know how to pray. I want to be growing in my ability to pray. And so that, that was actually the, the request that the disciples made to Jesus because they had been overhearing Jesus praying and they wanted to know how. How did Jesus pray so well? And so Jesus teaches how to pray. And so far we've seen that what is unique about Jesus' teaching on prayer is this wonderful privilege of being able to address God as Father. You know, the, the, the gospel is that those who receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour are not only reconciled to God, but are also adopted into his family as his children. 
And so if you're a believer, you can say to God, Father. And that, that means, the meaning of that, it's incredible. You know, it means that God is just as concerned for you and just as attentive to you as he is his own son. What assurance we have of being loved by God to be able to call him Father. Now, if you have this relationship with God as, as his child, and you can call him Father, then the primary expression of that relationship is, of course, communication. Because relationships are all about talking. That's how you enjoy a relationship, communicating. And that means that prayer is not something that's an optional extra in a relationship with God. It's actually the very centre. Prayer is, in many ways, what this relationship is all about. Talking to your Heavenly Father. And on top of that, uh, as we saw last week, Jesus actually taught us how to pray by giving us the very words to say. So uh, very practical teaching. Now here's the thing about that. You can agree with all of that. You can agree that, yes, a relationship's about talking. Uh, you can agree with the Lord's Prayer <laughs> that, you know, these are the words uh, that we've been given to pray and yet still hardly pray. You know, there can be days go by where not much talking to God going on, uh, maybe even weeks for some of you. And uh, it's almost like we know, we know it's true. We know that prayer ought to be centre in my life. And yet it's like what we know to be true hasn't yet gripped our hearts. It hasn't done that transforming work where it becomes a practice. And uh, so Jesus helps us here in, in this passage today because he not only has taught us how to pray, but he actually teaches us now the motivation that we need. He, he deals with our hearts. He shows us what is it that we need to be confident of that will then drive us to prayer, that we will want to be in that uh, communication with our Father. And that's what he does. He takes us now deeper into what it means to be able to call God Father. If you are a child of God and you have this privilege to say, Father, what does that mean for you? What does that mean? Well, Jesus teaches us two things uh, regarding prayer. And first, the first one, it means that you can have the confidence that God really does hear your prayer. And not only that, you can have the confidence that he will answer your prayer. That's the first thing Jesus teaches. And that's in uh, these verses, uh, verses 5 to 10. Uh, Jesus tells a story here in the first um, few verses, and then he makes the application of the story in verses 9 to 10. So the story goes, um, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. Now in that culture, hospitality was a huge deal. Uh, if you had a friend turn up, or even not a friend, if you had anyone turn up to your house, even at the middle of the night, um, apparently sometimes people travelled at night time to avoid the heat of the day, um, but if you had a, a traveller turn up, then in that culture you would do absolutely everything you can to make that traveller feel comfortable. You would put out a, a big spread of food on the table to make sure that they feel like they're welcomed and, and feel at home. 
Uh, although this guy is in a bit of a sticky situation because he has no bread. And bread was really the staple of, of uh, their diet back then. So what does he do? Well, he goes next door in the middle of the night and bangs on the door and asks his neighbour uh, for some bread. Now that might seem a bit crazy to us because you'd think it'd be a lot easier just to wait until the morning. Uh, you know, why get on the wrong side of your neighbour when you could just wait a bit, wait till it's uh, morning, it's not too far away. Uh, but this just shows us how important hospitality was in that culture. Now initially the neighbour is not impressed, obviously. Uh, can you imagine having someone waking you up in the middle of the night for something just like bread? Um, and so he tells the fellow, don't bother me, the door is already locked and my children and I are in bed, I can't give you up, uh, get up and give you anything. Now again, there's another detail we need to understand here. In that time, most people lived in houses that only had one room. So everything happened in that one room. Uh, once evening came, everything would be pushed aside, the bed would be rolled out on that one floor, and everyone would sleep there. And so if this neighbour gets up and rummages around through that, that one room, getting all the bread together, you know, knocking over pots, making noise, he's going to wake the children. And as any parent knows, uh, there is nothing worse than waking a child up because it's probably taken hours to finally get them to sleep and if they wake up, well, they're going to probably stay awake for hours. It's just going to be one massive big hassle. And so initially he says, um, don't bother me. Uh, however, Jesus does go on to say in verse 8, I tell you, even though he will not get up uh, and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. And so the story is just making one simple point. The man gets what he asked for because of the sheer audacity of asking. Right? It says shameless audacity. Now, shameless audacity, that's actually a translation of a, a Greek word that's only used, uh, this is the only time it's used in the New Testament. So I can make it a little bit tricky to know exactly uh, how to translate it. A few English translations actually translate it as um, persistence. Now, it says because of his persistence, he gets what he needs. Um, however, if you do compare the way that this word is used in other writings, uh, some scholars have done you know, huge studies on this word, and uh, they realise that it, it, the meaning is shameless, a shameless action. In fact, in some cases, it could, could be translated uh, an outrageous action or even an offensive action. Uh, the word has the idea of doing something without any concern for how it impacts others. You know, it's like, I don't know if you've ever gone camping and you have that perfect campsite by the river uh, with your hammock set up uh, and you're all ready to, to finally read this book you've been longing to read for ages. You just get settled, relax, turn to page one and then all of a sudden, out of the blue, the, all of these campers turn up, they set up right next to you within metres of your campsite and without any hesitation they turn on the music, you know, crank it up, full blast, they even have a generator running to make it all go and uh, they have this, this offensive music playing until the early hours of the morning. And if that's not enough, they come over at breakfast time, which is actually lunchtime, 
and they ask if they can borrow some, some olive oil because they forgot theirs and they need to cook their eggs. Now, do you give in to their request? Of course you do. <laughs> is it because you like them? Uh, is it because of friendship? Of course not. You give in to them just for one reason, that they're bold enough to ask. And so that's the idea that this word conveys, shameless audacity, the audacity of just asking. Okay, what does this have to do with prayer, though? Well, obviously, Jesus isn't encouraging us to be obnoxious toward God. That's not the point of the story. Um, But he is teaching us that nothing should hold us back from bringing our requests to God. There should be nothing. Uh, See, in the story that Jesus told, uh, the friend goes to his neighbour at midnight. See, nothing holds him back. He doesn't think, oh, that's too inconvenient or my neighbour's not going to like me anymore. Doesn't worry about that. He has a legitimate need and so he just goes and asks. He has the audacity to ask and he gets what he asked for. It's shameless audacity. And so the point of the story is to show us that if it works like that in human relationships, and it often does, then how much more will it work when we go to our Heavenly Father with a need? You know, if it works in human relationships and, and, you know, we're often grumpy and, and get really upset when people annoy us, but what about your Heavenly Father? What about when you, as his child, come to him with a need? There should be nothing standing in the way, nothing that would cause us uh, to not do that. I mean, does God ever say to his own child, don't bother me, the door is locked? Of course not. He is willing to hear and he is willing to answer and so nothing should hold us back from asking. And so what Jesus says here, it's, it's actually almost outrageous. You know, the people of the time hearing this would, would almost think that Jesus is out of his mind telling us to pray like that. I mean, surely if you're going to approach a God who is powerful and mighty and, and uh, a God who is holy, who dwells in unapproachable light, surely you can't just barge in whenever you like and bring any request to him in this way. Surely if we're going to to bring our prayers to God, we first need to clean our lives up and make sure that we haven't done anything to offend him lately and then maybe he will listen to us. But you see, you only think like that if you don't know the gospel. The gospel is that, that uh, in Jesus we're not only justified from all that we've done against God, but as I said at the start, we're also adopted as his children. And so if we have that, then that means that the door, God's door is always open to us. If we are in Christ, access is always granted. Every single barrier to the Father is gone in Christ. And so that actually means even when you have done something to offend your Father, and we do, even then the door is still open to come and do what? to come and confess your sin and ask for forgiveness. The door is always opened. See, it's the gospel that actually gives us this shameless audacity to always bring a need, no matter what. No, nothing will hinder us. But it's only the gospel that tells us 
that God's acceptance of us, that his willingness to listen to our prayers, it's not based on our performance. It's based on the performance of another, on the performance of Jesus. And so if we have him, through faith in him, we always have access to the Father. So there should be no hesitation. If you're a believer, there should be no hesitation in bringing your need uh, to God. We should always assume that God is actually willing to hear us and he will answer us. And see, that's how Jesus applies this story in verse 9. So if we have a look at verse 9, Jesus says, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Uh, And just a couple of things about that verse. See those words, um, ask, seek and knock? Um, It sounds like, you know, a once-off action, but it's actually, it's written in the continual sense. Uh, It's a present present tense verb. So it's talking about a continual action. It's go on asking, go on seeking, go on knocking, keep doing it. Uh, There's there's a, a perseverance involved. Uh, And uh, if we think about that, that makes sense because God is not a genie. It's not a case of you rub the lamp and make your demand and there you go. Uh, No, no, God is a father. And a father sometimes makes his children wait. Now, his children might have to ask more than once uh, before he gives something. And so we are to go on praying, go on bringing our requests to God until he answers uh, there's actually a famous story about a preacher named George Mueller who had two uh, friends. Uh, so he was a preacher. His friends used to come to church, but they weren't Christians. And so George Mueller prayed for their conversion and he kept on praying for their conversion. And he kept that up for 60 years, 60 years praying that they would come to know Jesus. God eventually answered George Mueller's prayer. In fact, it was at the very last sermon that George Mueller preached before he died that one of those friends was converted. And the other friend was converted after George Mueller died, but he was converted during the sermon at George Mueller's funeral. I mean, it's an incredible story. Uh, It's amazing to see that he kept it up for 60 years, but it might get us to wonder, well, how come God took so long? I mean, 60 years is a long time to, to finally answer. Why did God take so long? I don't know. <laughs> Obviously, God has his reasons. Uh, you know, we need to remember that God's plan, in God's plan, you know, if we think of it like a, a tapestry, you know, God weaving all of these little details of our lives into this, this plan, you know, there must be, uh, what, a gazillion strands to God's tapestry. And he's working them all together. And so sometimes... Well, some strands have to go in before others. And so it makes sense that sometimes our prayers are answered much longer than than what we might initially ask for. But we know for sure that in the end, when we get to heaven and look back and see this this tapestry completed, we will see that God's way was always perfect, that it was glorious the way he did it. And so there is persistence needed in bringing our prayers to God. Uh, The other thing to notice about verse 9 is that we do need to read it in context. 
And that's the reason I read that um, section at the start again, you know, where Jesus taught us how to pray. He gave us the words to say. <clears throat> and so in the Lord's Prayer, as we call it, um, you know, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, uh, give us our daily bread, uh, forgive us our sins, keep us from uh, evil. Um, we looked at this last week, uh, but though there's five petitions there, and those five petitions cover every aspect of what it looks like to live in relationship with God. And so if you pray those prayers, if you bring those requests to your Father, He will answer them. He will answer them. That's what Jesus is saying. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. You only have to ask. And so how do you react to that? How do you react to verse 9? I think our natural tendency is to doubt. You know, to, to think that maybe Jesus is exaggerating. Uh, perhaps we're worried that we might even get our hopes up about something only to be disappointed. Uh, or perhaps we're worried that if we start asking for something that God's going to make us wait for 60 years before he answers. And so... Perhaps we won't bother starting. Um, but see, the doubts that we have over verse 9, it just reveals the problem that Jesus is addressing here, that there is a reluctance in us to pray, a reluctance to bring our needs to, to God. <clears throat> but as uh, James uh, says in his letter, you do not have because you do not ask. You do not have because you do not ask. And Jesus says what he says in verse 9, because it's true. God will answer your prayers. You only have to ask. In fact, notice how Jesus repeats it in verse 10. He doesn't want us to miss this. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. If God is your father, he is willing to to answer your prayers. So nothing should hinder us. We should be shameless in coming to him with a need. So that's the first thing. Now the second thing uh, that Jesus teaches us here is that we should not only assume that God is willing to answer our prayers, but we should trust him in the way that he does answer. And Jesus gets this across in verses 11 to 13. Uh, which we'll read, he says, uh, Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven? How much more will your Father in heaven? Now notice the way Jesus assesses human nature in this section. He says, Though you are evil... And uh, that's, that's the opposite to um, what our culture, um, you know, in light of enlightenment thinking, uh, you know, people say that people are basically good but occasionally do evil things. Um, you know, if, they have, if their environment is wrong or their upbringing isn't quite right. But Jesus says it's the opposite. We're basically evil and occasionally by God's grace we do good things. Um, but here Jesus, he's talking about fathers and I guess you could argue that well, there are some fathers who do evil to their children, um, but that's the exception. Jesus isn't talking about them. He's talking about normally 
despite the sinful human heart, fathers will do good for their children. They will give their children good gifts. You know, children can trust their father that if they ask, you know, for a, if they ask for a cup of water, the father's not going to give them a cup of terps and then laugh at them as they try to drink it. Uh, the father wouldn't do that because a father loves his children and wants to always do what's best for them. And so there's a trust there. And the point of this, it's, it's another one of these how much more stories that Jesus often tells. If an earthly father, who is completely flawed, can do the right thing, then how much more will your heavenly father do what is right? So you think about your heavenly father. There is nothing in his character that should cause any doubt. You know, we sing that song, There is no shadow of turning in thee. Uh, you never fail. Your love is unfailing. It's not quite how it goes. Uh, you never change, but your love is unfailing. Uh, so the implication is that no matter what, you can trust your heavenly Father. No matter what. Right? And so that actually means that if you pray, if you um, bring a request to God, and you can't see how he's answered it, if you know that he is your father, if you know that he is committed to you and loves you, unfailing love, then how do you, how do you respond to the times when it seems like prayer isn't answered? It's trust. You have to assume that God is answering better than you could ask. Uh, you have to assume that his timing is always better than you could imagine. That's what it looks like. I mean, that's what a good father does. He always gives his children better than they would ask. You know, children don't always understand why their parents do the th things that they do. Children often don't understand why their parents say, um, wait, or not now, later. Children don't understand that. But a child, if they know their parents love them, if they know that their parents are more wise than they are, then they know that whenever their parent says, wait, not now, later, they can know that there's a good reason for that. They, they might not understand what the reason is, but if they know their parents love them, they know that they can trust that later is actually better. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Uh, we do need to let this sink in. You know, sometimes we joke um, about prayer that um, don't ever ask God for humility. Why not? <laughs> because he'll probably strike you down with a trial that will absolutely crush you into the dirt. Don't ever ask God for contentment because he'll probably take everything that you love away. You know, we joke about that, but we've got to be careful there because there is a sense in which we're saying the very opposite of what Jesus is saying because Jesus says, you know, if you ask for a fish, he's not going to give you a snake. And so we need to remember that if God is our Father who loves us and you ask for a good gift, humility is a great gift, contentment is a great gift, patience, all these things. They're great gifts. If you ask your father for that, he's not going to give you a snake instead. 
He's not going to put you into something that you cannot cope with. He will never put you into something where he doesn't actually give you everything you need to cope with that situation. You can trust him. You can trust him. There is no shadow of turning in him. In fact, the punchline of this story, remember I just said before, how much more will your father give good gifts to his children? But it, that's Matthew's um, version, the Sermon on the Mount. But here, look at the punchline. At the very end, how much more will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? That, I don't know if you realise, but that is the most incredible promise uh, I seem to be saying this a lot. This is the most incredible thing <laughs> in the Bible, but this is amazing. Here is God the Son promising that God the Father will give you God the Holy Spirit when you ask. This is the most incredible gift that there is. Uh, do you, do you realise that? And the reason is, is because the Holy Spirit, he is the one who brings us into all that the Father has planned and all that the Son has accomplished in salvation. It all comes to us by the Holy Spirit. He is the one who brings all of these wonderful things. Uh, if we had lots of time, we could go through all these Bible verses and see the, uh, the, the work that the Holy Spirit does. I'll just give you a summary. It's the Spirit. He is the one who opens our eyes to see the glory of Jesus in the gospel. He is the one who persuades us that it's true. So without him, we'd be forever lost. It's the Holy Spirit who gives us new birth, which is the seed of faith. That's where faith comes from. It's actually the Holy Spirit who gives you faith to believe in Jesus and that faith unites you to Christ so that everything that's true about Jesus becomes true of you. His atoning death for sin becomes yours. His perfect record of righteousness becomes yours. That's all the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's the Holy Spirit who gives us the assurance of adoption as God's children. You know, He is the one who enables us to cry out, Abba, Father. See, he's the one, and you can know, yes, I'm God's child. The Holy Spirit assures you of that. Uh, the Holy Spirit is the one who empowers us for godliness. He's the one who equips us for works of service. And he is the one who will raise us from the dead and give us eternal life. That's all the work of the Holy Spirit. And so to have the Holy Spirit is to have everything that God has to give. This, that's why it's the most incredible gift. There is no greater gift that you can have than to have God himself, God the Holy Spirit. And notice what Jesus says here. How do you have the Holy Spirit? Ask. You just have to ask. God promises to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. See, whatever struggle you're going through, whatever trial you're in at the moment, whatever temptation you're battling, whatever confusion you have, whatever it, ha it is, this is what you need. You need the Holy Spirit. You need his empowering. You need his assuring. You need his filling. You need the Holy Spirit and all you have to do is ask. So I wonder, are you missing out because you don't ask? 
Are you missing out on, on the, the wonder of communication with God? See, prayer is central uh, to our lives. And so let's enter into that. Let's make prayer, let's make this a lifestyle. This isn't something that we do occasionally. Uh, it's not just, you know, it's one of these, uh, a duty to tick off each day. Let's enter into this as a lifestyle. Talking to your Heavenly Father. Whatever need you have, bring it to Him. Shameless audacity. Remember, the door is always open. Jesus says, everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be open. Amen. Well, let's, let's pray now. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are such a wonderful Father. We thank you, Lord, that even uh, if we've had a, a great earthly father and can see uh, the way that, uh, that they have treated us and, and we can thank you for the, the blessing that it is to have a, a wonderful earthly father. Uh, but we know that that's just nothing compared to how wonderful you are. And Lord, even those who didn't have a great earthly father and, and it's a source of pain, we thank you, Father, that, that that's not the end, but that, that there is this, this joy that can be had, uh, even for them, that, that the true Father, you, are the one who loves and who will never do evil. Oh, Father, we thank you for this. We thank you for the, um, the confidence that we can have that when we bring our needs to you, that they're not just going into nowhere, but rather they're going to you, to your ear, and we thank you, Father, for your promise to answer. But Lord, we need humility, we need contentment, we need patience, uh, because we know that you are a good Father and that you have a plan that is far better than our own. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to rest uh, in your answers, to trust that you know what is best. Um, but we pray, Father, that, that would encourage us to go deeper into prayer, that we would grow in this uh, that we would be a, a church uh, where prayer is central. We pray that, Father, that you would uh, hallow your name. We pray that your kingdom would come. We pray that your will would be done in our lives and in, in this place. Oh, Father, we pray that you would give us our daily needs and forgive us our sins and lead us uh, not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Oh, Father, we pray for those who are uh, struggling at this time that you would increase their faith. We pray, Heavenly Father, for those who have had operations lately. We ask for their recovery. Um, we pray particularly for Robin, who had one on Friday, that she would recover well. We pray that you would be near to her and near to others, Lord, who, are, um, who can't attend because of illness or other reasons. We pray that your presence would fill them with joy and peace. Uh, we also pray, Heavenly Father, for um, Simon and Martha uh, and Natur and Benny as they move to Western Australia. We pray that you would be with them in that, that you would uh, provide for them all of their needs. We ask, Lord, that they would settle into a new church family and that you would bless them uh, mightily. Father, we also pray that you would uh, continue to work in each of us. Give us your Holy Spirit. We know that without him we can do nothing. So we pray that you would fill us with the Holy Spirit, that we would live lives that honour and glorify you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.